let's just do the quick little intro here. I'll give you both an, an opportunity to, to introduce yourselves, but I'm going to run through real, and I already did kind of before you came on, but look, this is the weekly update for Theory Underground. This is week three <clears> only. <throat> to think it's only been three weeks. And what's happened in those three weeks? Two courses. Well, one has launched and already had its first meeting and people are active in the forum. The other course is about to begin. It's coming this Wednesday. So the one that began is the idea of the university. Nick and Andrew are both in that course and have been doing the readings. And I think to some degree, even in what, did you do your reflections on the forum and all that? I would be doing it right now. I'll, I'll be doing it tonight, but I already listened to <laughs> I was planning on it. Yeah. I did the... I got through the first chapter, I think, twice already. I'm going to re-listen to it again and then nice. take notes and then do my reflection. Nice. I And also it is for it's for chapters one through three, but chapters two and three are both very, very short, like two pages each. Um, I played Tetris while Anne read uh, those chapters aloud to me because she knew that that would help her. And so she just wanted to do that. And that was cool. And... I love playing Tetris when I have like fidgety, angsty energy and I can't sit there and turn pages, you know, which is why I had to read the idea of university aloud myself. Cause I was like, I need to go through this again. And I know it'll force me to do it if I make it available. And then other people won't have an excuse not to you know, do the reading cause they'll get to just listen to it. So I want to do something similar with the professional managerial class consciousness course, which is coming up starting this Wednesday. And that is, uh, if I don't, do an audio recording of the actual text. I think what I'll probably do is like an, ex an exegetical reading stream. So probably every week going forward, I will be doing dedicated exegetical readings. And so for everybody in the world, like probably 99.9% .9 of the world that doesn't know what exegetical means, it just means like you read through it. And as you read, you unpack and explain like what, is going on in plain speak because ultimately academics, especially in the humanities are responsible for taking things that are indecipherable uh, because they come from a different time or a different headspace than people are usually in. And then they translate that into the current context, making it relevant and approachable for people, or they do the opposite. They uh, take things that are going on in the current day and then make them indecipherable and, feel like something you cannot relate to. And so, but you know, that, that back and forth between those two things, bringing stuff to theory and then bringing theory to stuff, you know, it's to, generally speaking, the, the work of the academic or, but for us, the, the truth seeker, the theory wanna understander, the, is that, would that make sense? Theory, I, I wanna understand theory, that whatever, however you would wanna classify that. Uh, but as Andrew brought up, like the probably the most interesting thing that's happened in the last week is that I moved to Mexico with Anne, who's downstairs right now, and she's in the chat actually. So, I am. Uh, hola, everybody. Hey. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So we are uh, we're in Mexico now, Aguas Calientes, and uh, I would take you outside and show you. Actually, I will. I, I was going to say I wasn't going to because it got dark, but I think you'll probably still be able to see stuff. Let's see. That uh, scene on Super Troopers where the dude hijacks the car and he's like, you boys like Mexico? <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm about to show you 
is the freaking terrace. I've never lived somewhere with a terrace before, but it's cool. Yeah. No, this I was like, why are you doing this? Why are you there? Why did you move to Mexico? Uh, I don't know if anybody's seen housing costs in the United States, but it's absolutely ridiculous if you're not looking to work full time. And I'm not. And so, yeah, look, yeah. At, look, look at that. That's right outside my fucking door here. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, there's, um, I, holy Lord. Yeah. Um, look at that red. That's the, that's the nice. sunset, man. Um, no, there are, there are people like uh, my last command uh, when I was stationed in San Diego, since like San Diego is literally like, closer to the border, that would, uh, you know, buy a house out there and just uh, live over there and just come through the border and then drive to the base, right? But there were people that were like already had family in Mexico, so they could get away mm. with that. Mm. But That's yeah, because it's cheaper out there. Yeah. Well, it's also a new way of running some hustle is to buy up a house turn it into an Airbnb. Like that's a, are you, are you just going for the view right now? Ian? Yeah. Like what? Well, it looked slightly better in the, in it's the, so it's, beautiful. it's beautiful. Yeah. It, it guys, right before I started this stream, when mm -hmm. I went outside, that sunset was absolutely off the hook. I've never seen it. Anything quite so beautiful. And I was instantly like, Oh dang, I won't be able to share that. It'll already be mostly gone, but Hey, you got to see some of it. So, uh, yeah, oh, do you want to say hello? Say hello to the boys? Hola, niños. ¿Cómo estás? <laughs> hey, what's good? Estoy no bien. No, way. Estoy bien. Estoy muy bien. Whipping in the kitchen. Whipping in the kitchen. Whipping in the kitchen. ¿Qué onda? <laughs> yeah, she's, uh, she's making some yummy bean and rice bowls. So, okay. Hell yeah. Uh... Housing. This is a two-bedroom, two-bathroom, upstairs, downstairs uh, place in a gated community. I mean, everything, everywhere we went in Aguas Calientes is a gated community for the most part. I mean, every, there's bars on everything, but it's a, it's a little bit more so here. And so point being, how much do you all imagine that is? It, cheaper it's than out here. His pesos are very cheap compared so to just, American money. Just, just guess in, in dollars what uh, that would cost per month. $250 a month. Okay, well, fuck. Now you went way too low. No, it's 500 but, you know, yeah. for for a, for a thousand, Anne had uh, a studio apartment that where the kitchen was like half the size of the kitchen here. Right. So, right. Yeah, this is. Wait, so did you quit your job? The Amazon job? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you have to to move to Mexico. Well, there is a Amazon here, and I would work there if I could get a work visa. But we're only here for a few months, and so it wouldn't have made sense. But also, I I saved up uh, enough money that with this reduced cost of living, plus the fact that I sold my tiny house. I have some money to live off of for a few months and yeah, then, then we move back to the States and I will get married in July and then it will be the countrywide tour for Theory Underground. Um, that's oh yeah, I'm going to take leave for that. That's awesome uh, because I already got the postcard. So yeah, put that shit in. 
it's, it's, awesome. it's a campy thing, so I don't have to fucking dress in a suit. So that's our tux. So that's going to be cool, right? That's, you, don't that's have the plan. To, you don't have to, right. for sure. I probably will wear like a rented tux with like the chacos on my feet. You know, like, yeah. you know, half hiker, half. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so, so far though, it's been pretty cool, but it's been a total disaster in terms of all the things that I needed to be getting done. And so really quick rundown on what I haven't done and on what I have done. Um, I've fallen off putting up the clips of me and Mikey intro to Lacan on Instagram and TikTok talk because I had to edit those every day. And my editing station is right beside me, right there. And it's uh, the main reason I can't use it right now is because I didn't bring my screens. I figured it would be cheaper just to buy screens here. Um, but then when I went to Walmart and it took like two hours to walk there because we thought, well, let's see the city. We'll walk to Walmart. There were no screens. And then I, uh, they were like, no, go to Office Max in Spanish. They said that. And then so we went to – and no, no, no screens at Office Max either. And so I've had to order them online and – they're being brought here. But point being, that was to save money on the, the cost of bringing everything. And I think it still saved me some money. But what it does is it also puts me back on what I'm able to do. So I'm not able to do any of the editing stuff that I had planned. Uh, right, but the right. last couple of days, whenever I was able to get stuff done, what I focused on was web development. And uh, Nick, the problem that you had uh, last week with logging in and getting booted and then having to log in again and then it's saying too many concurrent users. Uh, that was a bug on the website that I thought was fixed until you came into, until you had that problem. I told the, the, the technical support people about it and then they were like, well, if it's just one person, it's probably something to do with their computer. But then it just happened again, somebody else. And so mm -hmm. we're getting yeah. to the bottom of it, folks. We're getting, we're, we'll figure it out. But uh, working with technical support is, is a huge pain because they don't just take the reins and then figure it out for you. They always tell you a bunch of things you have to go do for them. And so uh, that kind of troubleshooting has been a lot of it. But anyway, let's talk about the more interesting thing, which is the PMC course that's coming up here. I want to take an opportunity um, that just presented itself here of a disagreement, not a, not a very serious one or anything like that, but um, something that just occurred on Twitter. And I know other people saw it because uh, there were already people in the theory underground community who were messaging me about it. And at least one person responded with a GIF on Twitter and stuff like that. And so um, basically uh, Matthew, uh, gosh, I hope I say this correctly. Phil Spader. Fleece Fader. Fleece Fader. Fleece Fader. Fleece Fader. Matthew Fleece Fader um, is the professor who was, uh, who was uh, in charge of the course we took on For They Know Not What They Do. GZX For They Know Not What They Do. Really great and course. Really great. Great course put on by uh, GZX and so on podcast. And I also love um, a lot of the stuff that he tweets. And so I've, you know, liked it, retweeted, blah, blah, blah. Author anyway, of uh, Algorithmic Desire. Right. Yeah. 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 The author of algorithmic desire. But anyway, so so he said some things that I thought it would be good for us to talk about, at least, um, because the 
concerns I think that he has uh, with the use of the term PMC are not uncommon. And uh, I don't blame a person for wanting to either not use the concept or engage with it. And the reason is, is for something that he event- that he kind of brought up, is that people use it like it's a slur. Now, I haven't been, I don't think, personally, using it like it's a slur usually. I don't, I try not to. That's not the point. Um, I do think that that is kind of how a sort of reactionary populist, pseudo-populist, whatever type of approach will, you know, it'll, oh, fucking the PMC, I don't know. It's like, it's, it is like a slur, right? It's not the goal. And so what is the goal? What is the point of even talking about it? Why do we talk about it? Um, part of it is just because we want to have an expanded class analysis, one that's up to date with the 21st century, right? And so let me finish clipping you both out of the way here so I can get the get it up on the screen. Okay, you two are on the bottom. I'm above you both now. I am with the Kvoy boys. They're here. This is awesome. Three fourths of the young Zizekians in the in the in the stream, and what I hope is that uh, next time I, I, I'm going to put out the invite to the the, the forum community, and I'm going to start making it a little bit more like how on Discord Discord like when you're running a Discord community, you can do like a, a group call. I'm going to start sharing this Zoom link so that people are able to hop in, and and then that way. As things scale over time, I would like to make this show, the weekly review of Theory Underground, a little bit more collaborative to where moderators and people who are more involved are like able to say things like so-and-so joined and said something, something and blah, 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 you know, because right now it's just me and my shitty memory and... The idea of having to be more organized than I already am is not good. But uh, before before we get into uh, the the disagreement and the PMC stuff, I just wanted you both to have an opportunity here to say like what what's up with your weeks. What have you both been doing? And you can reintroduce yourselves for all of the poor suckers who have no idea who you are yet. I just Andrew, you want to start? I'm going to get a beer. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll start. So what's up, everybody? For those of you who don't know me, I've been on Dave's channel a handful of times, and I am one of the young Zizekians. Um, Andrew, I go by uh, the username Master Signified Bodies on YouTube um, and on Instagram, where I post a bunch of uh, niche theory memes. I'm also the co-host on uh, Nick's channel, Kevoy, in which we dissect the... Um, seminars of Jacques Lacan thoroughly, line item by line item, and uh, have you all join us in this sort of Miss Frizzle's journey in hysteria. (laughs) But um, yeah, so, I mean, like I said, I have a channel on YouTube as well, names Master Signified Bodies, which are short video essays, which I'm still in a work in progress. So I hope this year to pretty much uh, start delving into some theory and making more Video essays, whether psychoanalytic, uh, Marx-oriented, confidence philosophy, phenomenology, etc. So stay tuned for that. Um, as far as my week goes, week's been 
kind of just mellow a lot of uh just navy shit and then um training but i got two new books that i'm excited to read uh i just got that's uh psychoanalysis and the politics of the family so definitely you're gonna see some incoming memes um so shout out to Ted if he's watching this and then also maybe a video essay into analysis on on this work you know also wasn't there like a twitter thing about family that you know we had a sort of discussion about so this this is pretty much the inspiration of getting that book to see what he has to say and then uh Derek Hook's uh Lacan on depression and melancholia so definitely some good reads so that's pretty much the highlight uh, and then jujitsu because uh, I'm training for a competition in, in April, so we'll see about that. Nice, nice. And before we go to Nick here, uh, three dog howl said sublime object came in for they know not what they do. Should be shipping shortly. Aiming to go through them before the course and hopefully be there as the course airs. Awesome. Not speaking of the for they know not what they do course that begins February 25th. Michael Downs of the Dangerous Maybe is in the chat. What's up, Mikey? And Mikey, Three Dog Howl, and Dave L., who said, tech support is just grief counseling. Uh, Three Dog Howl, we, uh, Kev Void channel, actually, we have two episodes on Sublime Object. Um, so if you want to check that out, um, I would highly recommend and drop some comments if you have any questions. So, yeah, thanks for the support. Yes. Thank you. So, Nick, what's up? How how you been? Hey, everybody. I'm Nick. You might know me on Instagram as Free Beer Tomorrow. Haven't been as active on Instagram making the memes lately, but uh, I've been making some uh, solo content on the uh, KVOI channel. As Andrew explained, I am the other half of K Voy. I'm Voy, by the way. He's K. Because K, Mexican. Yeah. Boy, Italian. It's not that deep. But <laughs> it is. I've it been, is actually. It's very, it I, is. I think it's very And deep. it isn't. Like Lacan says, it's all surfaces ultimately. <laughs> he didn't say that specifically, but that's what he's getting at, in my opinion. Anyway, uh, I am the hystericizer of Andrew, I would say. I uh, am the prospector of the mine, which is filled with the gold of his knowledge. And uh, yeah, lately I've been trying to branch out a little bit, make some solo content, you know, kind of bring comedy and theory together because I think theory is very forbidding for a lot of people and uh it is not without its gatekeepers no i it seems like that's more that's the rule rather than the exception when it comes to theory so i think something that all of us have in common all four young zizekians is we're really trying to bring people into this make people feel comfortable with um not knowing how to find their footing and then finding it eventually because there is really no right way into this. So uh, my contribution it, for now is going to be mostly oriented towards, uh, I don't know, more lighthearted content, goofing on things, skits, etc. And there's no end to the, the wealth of material that come from uh, the comments that we receive, you know, the 
the ideas we throw around. Anyway, I just have to say a little I bit thought, about me. I thought your recent video, and I don't. I, I admit I can never keep up with friends who are creators. It's kind of like uh, it, it kind of sucks actually because it's like the most important thing that your friend who's a creator is doing is like the thing that you're never able to keep up with because you're also doing it. But I did watch that most recent video you put out and I thought it, I mean, it made me, it made me, it made me laugh. Like I, I, I full on big belly, like laughed a few, on multiple occasions. And so did Anne. Wow. She was like, who is that? What is that? She heard me listening to it in the kitchen. And so I brought it over to her and then she was like glued to it. And so it's like, it's, there's something there. Uh, and, uh, Anne was like, if he really does come to the wedding, then on the, on the, Talent show night, he could do stand up. <laughs> <laughs> There's a talent show night? <laughs> you didn't look at, you got to look at your invitation. Yes. Oh, I thought I read it all the way through. Yeah. Uh, My apologies. I'm going to try to take some PTO if I'm not already fired by that point and uh, make it. Oh, yeah. We should all just go out. <laughs> yeah. I want to say also, and thank you for those kind words, uh, check that video out if you haven't already, because I, every time we post a video, we usually get a few subs, and I don't want to be all, like, sub-hungry here, but, like, I was just surprised that uh, it didn't get a little more traction. I mean, it got some views, but I don't know. Maybe people didn't know what to make of it or thought I was actually pitching AI therapy. <laughs> From the title, maybe it's just poorly uh, titled. Yeah, I'm not yeah. actually pitching this app. <laughs> I'm not like plugging it or anything. It's a it's a joke. Right. It's a joke. Anyway, uh, but you got a lot of uh, of comments in the the Andrew Tate one you made, just like some tater totters that were yeah. Like... <laughs> actually, though, the tater totters, as you call them, they weren't the the most annoying. It was people who took offense to me applying GTEC to an emergent phenomenon of, of, you know, something recent news. And I was just, you know, I was kind of spitballing. Yeah. It wasn't an essay. It wasn't peer reviewed, but some <laughs> people were like, what the, you're, you're not supposed to be talking. Do you have a PhD? Then well, this is, you're just recycling. She checks ideas. What can I say? <laughs> we're just out here trying. We're hustling. Hard out here for a pin. Fun. <laughs> Mikey, uh, I saw that you were trying to join the chat and then you left and I can always add you back if you want to try again, but if that was a one-off and you're not able to get back in here, then no worries. So I'm just going to just do a quick run through on like the, the tweets, uh, because this professional managerial class consciousness course, uh, it's kind of getting crickets, I'm going to be honest. On the whole like thing about people not knowing what to do with something, like you're just saying Nick, like when you put a video out and then you get like no comments, uh but you did get a bunch of watches, it, you got to wonder. And then when someone actually does say something critical about, you know, you using the term at all, it makes you think maybe them being critical about the way you use the term has something to do with the why with why other people are also being, you know, awfully quiet <laughs> about it. You know what I mean? Because it's like I, I put out put out something on Zizek, get like thirty comments. Put out something on the PMC, everyone's just like, 
And I'm like, okay, well, what's going on here? And at a superficial level, like maybe people are just sick and tired of class analysis, right? Uh, and, and it also would seem, and I think this is, I've generally thought that this is probably what's going on is that because some people use class analysis in an identity politics way, like the cringe way, not the based way, right? Because there, there's an element of truth to identity politics, right? But like the, the, the way that we hate is when someone tries to use your identity or their identity as the argument where they'll be like, uh, they don't hear what you're saying. They say, well, you're just a white person or, oh, well, you could never understand my experience. And, but then they put themselves in the position, they usually while doing this, put themselves in the position of kind of speaking for the entire identity group. When obviously we all know people who share their identity, who would be able to, or would happily argue against them. And so it's kind of like, well, then what's the point of this? We can't have a real conversation now. Um, and obviously if, if people were using PMC the same way where they're like, oh, well, you're a, what, you're a lawyer. Oh, you're an, you work for an advertising firm. Oh, what you, you're an engineer. Oh, you went to college. Oh, we don't care about what you think. You're, you're stupid. You're bad. You're, you couldn't possibly be progressive or you couldn't be a Marxist. You can't do good things or care about good stuff because of your class standing in the PMC. Well, then that would be really dumb. And what I feel like is happening is that sometimes people think that that is what I'm doing when that's not what I'm doing. And because that is so counter to everything that I've ever done or cared about for all time, like that just is something I want to be very clear on. Uh, and so let's, let's just use the tweet, the, the tweets as a, could I, could I just interject something? Cause I, yeah, yeah, totally. I absolutely yeah. relate to what you're saying. And this has nothing to do with how you came off. But I th uh, initially when we met, it really does. I think it's more so what is the standard in a lot of liberal discourses when there is a kind of label like PMC that comes up, the exact kind of id poll, um, I don't know, like categorization that goes on authorization of who can speak. Initially I was worried that maybe being something of like the odd man out there in that, like, I, you know, I'm not working in a warehouse. I don't know how much of this you want to disclose about who works where, but you know, like I, I thought that maybe, okay, so I would be seen as uh, a person of uh, some kind of privilege because relatively i would say i am to certain degrees but it's like that's not to make this all about myself but i'm just i i relate to what you're saying in that i could see why people approaching this concept have a sort of crisis of identity that goes on where it's like oh wait is he talking about me a am i going to be uh the the center the target of some kind of hate is, is this a outgrouping that's going on right and uh, that like we want to we want people to know that that's that's not what's going on and there's not going to be judgment passed in this sense it's it's almost like um when when marxists will say that any philosophy that isn't marx or marxism is bourgeois 
Mm. And like, I really liked in the conversation that you had with Catrone. I think it was the second one in which the day after we did this uh, defensive Zizek, where he said, it's like, if you want to be real, Marxism is a bourgeois philosophy in the sense that it is an intellectual tradition. And so the only people that are doing it are the people that are in the university, not in the working class. We just analyze, uh, you know, working class phenomenon in which, you know, organizing contradictions and stuff like that occur. Um, and I like you're like the most read out of all of us on, you know, the concept of PNC, and all the different essays and literature out there. So the only thing I could kind of like see is like it's very uh, a nuanced way of looking at class analysis because like it's not this sort of binary of just like, oh, you just got the proletariat. And then you got those who own the means of production. Um, it's it's almost like, and the only way I can compare it to is what Althusser talks about of ideological state apparatus. And there's like a class in which they don't own the means of production, but yet they're in charge of, in a sense, reproducing capital in the form of ideological phenomenon, ideological information, and telling you and interpolating you and saying, this is your best interest. This is what you have to do, you know? That's the only thing I can see. And I think that is still important structurally. It's not an identity, but it's a certain structure in which people could be interpolated to and then sort of avow it and affirm it, even if they don't know it. Right. It's a sort Mm -hmm. of thing of like they don't know what they're doing, but they do it. Uh, So it all started with um, this tweet where Matthew Fleecefader says the liberal conception of the human. Hold on. Let me make sure people can see this. Yeah, people can see this. Okay, good. The liberal conception of the human is produced as the coincidence of the ownership of property, the wage form, the rise of the typographic mind, and the individual ego. But the post-literate, retribalized subject of the global village dissolves the ego while the wage form has given way to the credit form. Post-humanism is less an emancipatory discourse than a description of what happens to the subject in the conditions of 21st century capitalism. And I hearted it because I like this train of thought. And then I said 100%, which is to say I agree with everything there. But then I added to it. I said, I would only add that this is the PMC's experience articulated in universal terms. And as such, it obfuscates what's going on for most non-credentialed people not getting loans, and still living lives primarily structured by the wage form. Um, obviously, I could have expanded a lot on what I mean there, and I might later, but uh, he just, I didn't because it's a tweet. And he goes, the working class isn't indebted. I would never say such a thing, but you know. Then he goes, all workers, regardless of socioeconomic status, commodify their labor via the wage form. But class struggle today under conditions of neoliberal capitalism is not between capital and labor, but creditor and debtor. Okay. I mean, it's not between capital and labor, but between creditor and debtor. And I'm just over here like, okay, well, you know, um, my whole life has been me struggling primarily with employers or lack of income or lack of hours in my week. Yeah, I've been in debt for most of it, but that has not been the primary thing. Yeah, I also pay for rent. We could say that today it's between renters and owners because most people are renting today instead of homeowning. I mean, a janitor 
could support a wife and kids and own a house back in the 1970s. Barbara Ehrenreich talks about that in Fear of Falling. Uh, that's not the case anymore. The janitor <clears throat> is no, or, 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 no, no longer is that, uh, that janitor going to be able to own a house. That janitor is now a renter. But at the same time, I wouldn't say that that janitor is that, oh, now it's a relation between renters and owners. No, it's still between capital and labor, I would say. But I mean, I can see where he's going though, because this is the finance ear. Right. I was going to say there's a finance, right? Finance, contract, uh, capital, um, and all these other things. You know, you got credit cards and all that. But ultimately, like the fictitious capital. Fictitious capital, but there would still have to be a form of wage that sort of like mediates with that, a sort of wage labor, right? Yes, yes. And uh, it doesn't help that Raynaud Woodbed comes along and does this gif that I think made it look like I was dunking on him or maybe, maybe the other way around. Maybe he thought Matthew was dunking on me. I didn't really take it to be that way, but Raynaud, I think. It doesn't bring any context at all. It kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Raynaud's a cool person and was just having fun, I think. But anyway, um, then he says the wage is longer, only a means of social reproduction, but of servicing debts. Uh, also, I'm not wholly convinced by the PMC argument. This is where we, this is, this is the key. This is the crucial part right here. Also, I'm not wholly convinced by the PMC argument. Many of us have diverse class backgrounds and our current living conditions are not wholly defined by our jobs. That claim only reifies other kinds of labor and laboring conditions. You can't judge a book by its cover. So... Let's see. Did I retweet this? I think I retweeted this. And I said, none of these rebuttals even touch the argument. What books on the topic have you seriously engaged with? Which authors are you disagreeing with? Right? Now, the reason I want to know that is because every time this comes up with a professor, it's like the same kind of thing. Uh, it happened with Daniel Tutt as well, where he was basically like, I'd, I'd brought up the PMC. He basically was like, oh, that's a dumb thing to say. And I was like, okay, but why? Like, and then he, he was like, oh, just it's been debunked. And I was like, okay, well. And, and then he said I couldn't get my, 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 my knowledge from internet debates. And I was like, but, but where? But no, I've been reading books though. <laughs> I was working at Amazon at the time. And so I was listening to books about this. And then being, you know, oh, you can't just get your information from internet debates. First of all, I wasn't aware that anyone on the internet had a debate about the PMC. I don't, I'm, I'm not under the impression that anyone's talking about it. I'm pretty sure I'm the only person on YouTube who's seriously talking about it, much less putting together a course about it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're getting your information from internet debates. I'm getting it from books, my, my dudes. Uh... And if the books are wrong, then cool. I want to be correct and I don't want to be wrong. And so I would like to be straightened out. And so then I was like, to Tut, I'd been like, okay, well then like, what do I need to read? And then he was like, I'm not, I'm not here to educate you. And I was just like, well, fuck, dude, come on. What am I supposed to do with that? I, I can't get my information from internet debates, but I also can't get it from the people who are professors who say that's yeah. a dumb argument. What I'm get what I'm getting from this is that within these circles, that term has if it had ever had 
any kind of application, like it's fallen out of fashion. And that's what's being said. Like you can't gain any credibility within as an academic, if I'm an academic, my circle using that term. So it's almost like, let me save you the, the embarrassment of using something like debunked. Well, debunked is like a, a weird way to describe it. Like, how do you, debunk it exactly yeah, like, think of that in terms of like you know mythbusters myth or something like that like it's been debunked yeah uh, it doesn't it you know it's just to me it's like saying okay this concept is yeah unfashionable it doesn't it doesn't cut well, like is it that it doesn't cover the ground that other concepts that are ha- are have more efficacy do or that it's just like in their mind, cringe. Right. Yeah. Well, if, if that's the case, if it was debunked, who debunked it? Right. Who debunked <laughs> it? When did this debate happen? And yeah. and why this? Why is this the common refrain amongst yeah. established academics? Why the are they left. triggered, for lack on of a the, better term? But yeah, ones ones who are on the left specifically, right? On the right, right on the left. That's the important thing, right? Yeah. Well, and and I, and almost the number one refrain is that it's not a real class, which I've always kind of sidestepped by saying it's the professional managers of capital, right? The managers over labor and the profession, the professional, the professions that primarily serve capital. Like, I don't, I don't see what's the problem here. Like, you don't throw out a term just because it needs some clarification, right? Um, and then the other. One is one that I heard from uh, someone who just got mentioned in the chat here. Um, so who was it? Uh, Dave L. says, there was a kerfuffle with Derek Varn about the PMC. He ended up being fairly gracious about it. I wouldn't be surprised if he's fairly gracious about it because I understand, at least when I've heard like, I don't know, a couple of episodes because I, I, I did hear a couple of his episodes from Symptomatic Redness back in the day where um, – I mean, he clearly doesn't like the culture, uh, you know, faculty culture. There's things about academia that also get under his skin. And so uh, an analysis that says it's worth, you know, uh, elaborating and adding some nuance to how we think about class, considering the fact that the that the college-educated and credentialed professions are drastically outnumbering everyone else in every social change space. Every activist organization, the Democratic Party, the Democratic Socialists of America, CPUSA, it doesn't matter what we're talking, they all, and that's not bad, but the question is, okay, so what, what might come with that? Are there certain prejudices, certain assumptions, certain things that people don't want to look at or think about that might come along with that? But more importantly, might there be something about the mode of activism, the mode activism tends to take that is uh, unique to the fact and, and, and has a lot to do with the fact that the people cooking up the mode, performing the mode, writing the arguments, practicing the rhetoric – are the college educated elite. Okay. I'm college educated too. So in that sense, I'm PMC. Yes, I have been broke as fuck 
for a long time. And I think a lot of people who graduate from college are broke as fuck. Just because you graduate from college doesn't mean that you land a sweet career. And even if you do, that doesn't make you a class trader or some shit. And I think that's what people are afraid of. I think that they think they're being called out as some kind of a class trader or something. And it's, it's, like, it's like when someone's like, shut up, whitey, sit down. We don't want to hear from you. And the person speaking is some other white person who's just like, right. who's just like really fucking like new <laughs> to social change, you know? And they're just like, yeah, shut up. You disagree with my position and my position is representative of all black people. So shut up, whitey. And it's just yeah, like, oh up. my God, fucking, it's a very much like a Twitter slash Tumblr-esque kind of thing. And so I think that because people hate that shit and so they get involved with socialism, which is more about unity and, you know, mm-hmm. positive benefits for everybody, then people are like, oh my God, this PMC shit is just more of that. And if it was, right. then I, if it was, then I wouldn't like it. But so far from what I've seen, that's not the case when we're talking about Barbara Ehrenreich or more sock dem types like Thomas Frank. He's somewhat of a liberal, but he's correct in his analysis and critique of the way the Democratic Party turned away from the working class kind of just presumed, well, because the Republicans are so bad, of course we have the workers. And so we can start focusing on marginalized people who are being kept out of the professions. And so they started caring about marginalized people being represented in the higher paying professions. And that's the Thomas Frank in Listen Liberal. He traces it out. Like he talks about this crucial turning point being when uh, Bill Clinton ran on like half uh, populist rhetoric, but the other part of the stuff that he was saying was basically his solution to inequality was education. And so as education became the solution to inequality, the subtext, like what's being left out, what's not being said when you say the solution to inequality is education is, well, the real problem with inequality is that some people are poor, but they could have been in good professions if not for being kept out of good schools. And so really it's because we have underfunded schools that some people who are deserving to be in the ascendancy of the society aren't. Of course, a lot of people, you're just shitty. You you didn't do good in school and so fuck you. Like, you know, this is, this, this gets elaborated extensively by Thomas Frank throughout his works. But um, yeah, this, this PMC thesis gets developed by a variety of standpoints. And I think that they all need to be thought through. I think that if you're a Marxist, especially, like Marx wouldn't have just said he doesn't like it. He would have read through all the relevant literature and then he would have done some kind of an imminent critique um, using and then sublating all of what's being seen here. Um, and so anyway, bringing it back around to C. Derek Varn, oh, Dave added, he said he was reacting against the non-Marxist framing of class in James Burnham's managerial elite, which is where Barbara Ehrenreich got her PMC frame. Yeah. Okay. And that's, I'm glad that that just got said because I was just about to bring it back to Burnham. But all I've seen from Douglas Lane and C. Derek Varn on the concept of the PMC at the end of the day, the thing they like the least about it is that it becomes an anti it, it becomes anti-PMC instead of the PMC needs to be more responsible and actually work for the working class. 
Okay. I hope I'm not doing an injustice by saying that, but the thing is, is I would agree with that. I'm not saying abolish all professions or something. Um, the, and, and something else that I've always said ever since I heard Michael Brooks say it when he was in conversation with Dr. Adolf Reed Jr. Uh, this was like maybe four or five years ago, um, <clears throat> was that you can be in the PMC, but not of the PMC. And you can be a regular working class blue collar worker, you know, who's acting PMC, right? So what is the mindset? What is the mode? What are the prejudices? What are the assumptions um, that can be uh, understood through this term? And what, yeah, what's the inherent ideology of the PMC, right? And even, even, even understanding that stuff, you might not come out against a person who happens to be PMC. That's, that shouldn't be the point. Um, and what it comes back to for me is just that if there's a better theory that explains the mode, the mindset, the attitude, the prejudices that we are seeing in activist spaces, if there's a better, if something else has better explanatory power, I'm all ears. I'm not dogmatically committed to this one in any way, shape or form. Can I interject for a second? I just want to say like, if you are familiar with the term PMC, then you're already, I'm not saying you are one, but you're definitely in that space. Like you are in proximity to the professional manager, managerial class, the managers of capital, because it's not a something you're going to hear on the subway going to work in the morning you're not going to hear the homeless man talking about it or like some <laughs> it's, it's an indicator that, yeah, right. you, there, you, there's some adjacency here with the world of the managers of capital. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I wanted to kind of comment on, because it seems like from, from you know, everything that you said, it's like the same problem with, with, with class analysis and in, in, in MLM is like, you know, one thing that Zizek, you know, the sort of criticism that Zizek or like maybe someone like LeCloud is like they, they have antipathy and sympathy towards the working class, but it's the fact that they don't want to fetishize the working class. So um, on the other hand, with, with using PMC, we don't want to resent a sort of class that exists like that. That's not our point. It's like it's neither resentiment nor is it fetishization. It's like going beyond that. Because like you said, like there could be somebody who is, you know, in the university um, and maybe holds a sort of PMC position, but they're not of the PMC and they're not trying to maintain that status of, of elitism, professionalism and, you know, telling people down below what to do and how to act. And it's like one day you could be like me. And on the other hand, it's not sort of this um charity uh empathy like i understand you let me speak for you uh, workers of the world so mm-hmm. you can unite because there are some people in the working class that are very much uh reactionary mm-hmm. um you know hate leftists etc and even hold some like nationalist tendencies right mm-hmm. so it's a huge contradiction and antagonism it's not a homologous thing yeah could, no, and I- could i just could i build off that really quickly it's sort mm-hmm. of like i, I think being not of the PMC, but maybe 
belonging to it in some sense. It must be difficult. It must be a predicament if you are on the left and in academia and in any sense being outspoken about class analysis, even the concept of the working class in your uh, publications, because there's a lot to manage there. And I think um, there's this concept of like a very liberal concept of being an ally, you know, and I think if you want to be a leftist, you would want to distinguish yourself from this very simple like safety pin. Remember when allies mm-hmm. were wearing safety pins at one point to, to, to indicate after Trump was elected that you're one of the good ones. You want to distance yourself from that kind of performance. Mm-hmm. So PMC as a concept, I think, again, it might seem like a slur that brings us back to a kind of identity politics. A lot of uh, academic leftists, they're trying to get away from this sort of liberal mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, so two, two things. Um, one is a correction. I, I, I said that nobody else is talking about this and I forgot the fact that, uh, well, obviously Catherine Liu is and she's gone on Jacobin like three times to talk about it. But that's because the gals who keep bringing her back on and they're not the only hosts at Jacobin, so it's not like all hosts at Jacobin care about this very issue. But these specific ones who keep bringing her on like her, and they like her book, and so they're interested in it. Um, and so, you know, I and that's generally speaking, I think Catherine Liu is kind of the face of this term being used right now. But my point was that there's no one doing de- debates or streams on this topic, from what I'm from from my awareness of it. But um, bring. Uh, Andrew had said uh, about the mode. You actually used some descriptors for the mode, and I think that's helpful for anybody who's listening in who's like, okay, but what's the mindset? What's the mode? What are the values and what are the prejudices? And so, I mean, yeah, you basically touched on it. It's like this sense of elitism, this sort of condescension. Oh, you're a working class person. You're getting uppity, wanting to think for yourself and wanting to reason and wanting to know why we're telling you to do these things and then you want to come to your own conclusions for yourself like you know so it's a it kind of like this anti-enlightenment idea where kant thought every individual because of the enlightenment is going to be responsible for their own immaturity and coming to understand and know on their own and that's kind of like also the protestant ideal and a reaction to the right wing becoming sort of pseudo-populist or whatever. Some people just call it populist because the term is now synonymous for them with reactionary. Um, They they become more uh, anti-populist, which is to say anti-democratic, which is to say kind of the reaction to COVID, which was like, believe the science, you know, trust the experts. What are you, an idiot? What are you, a conspiracy theorist? Do as you're told. Like the whole framing of it was one that was like, look, you're either one of the good ones, little workers who trust us, or you're an idiot and even responsible for everything bad in the world, which is just bad. Like there's nothing, there's nothing good that comes from that. And so you might, 
So for me, I had this conversation with one dime. There's a difference between populism and like, you don't have to be a populist, but you can be not an elitist. You don't have to be a populist, but you don't have to be anti-populist. By being anti-populist, it's like you're, you're really shooting yourself in the foot there. And that is a lot of what we saw after Bernie burnt out and COVID came up. Was You saw that the what was supposed to be a broad working class movement, generally speaking, get turned into PMC, top-down control, command, you know, chiding, <laughs> telling people how to be. Okay. So before we can get to the to the memes though, um, I, I I just I want to finish off these comments. And so uh, Matthew had also retweet, uh, retweeted one of his older uh, tweets from January nineteenth. He said once again for the kids in the back. He said the critique of the PMC makes some useful points against liberalism, and I agree with some claims made there. But on the whole, it uses a non-Marxist conception of class struggle and is built purely on building up populist resentment. Um, and then when I asked about that and he said – I asked for some examples of authors that he's talking about. He brought up Catherine Liu and so it's just like I don't think she's a she, – I don't think she's like a non – she doesn't have a non-Marxist conception of class struggle. Um, but de Aaron Reich definitely doesn't. And to the degree that Burnham is involved at all, though I don't think Aaron Reich is reducible to Burnham, because uh, I mean this this thesis about the new liberal class that came from the right—it's something that she argues against for a whole chapter in *Fear of Falling*. She she calls it for the 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 pseudo populist bluff that it is, um, and she doesn't use those terms. I'm just saying that's what she 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 argues against it. Um, because you know, that, that's how the right wingers basically, they don't want you to look at the 1%. They want you to look at the, the 9% below the 1%, right? If the, if the Republican party is the party of the 1%, then the Democrat party is the party of the 10%. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, I would think that if you really care about class, then you would, there would be, have to be something. There would have to be something a little bit more nuanced concerning class, considering the fact that the Democratic Party has been focused on the 10%. So um, the last thing was he posted a quote from Aaron Wright saying, I hate to see PMC turned into an ultra left slur. We're going to have to work together. And that's been my position. So I don't, I don't know. And so I said, who uses PMC as a slur? When I brought it up, you made it into judging a book by its cover. My point was not about judgment or writing anyone off, but how the PMC theorizes its own subjectivity in universal terms that simply don't apply to most working people. He said, universalizing the PMC position? See my full response to you, which you ignore below. No, I did respond to it. What? You're not using PMC as analytic category but as a red herring and as an ad hominem <sighs> to say that the the academics take their understanding of how power and subjectivity works and then universalizes that to talk about this is everybody's experience now to say that that happens right. and it does happen to say that that's an ad hominem doesn't make any sense to me
I wasn't saying his argument is somehow like wrong on that basis or something. So for me, that's just confusing. Um, I actually hadn't seen that last tweet until just now. And so I'm still kind of processing it. Like what? I did respond to whatever. Okay. So I'll come back to that. I, I wanted to, to put this out there mainly not look, fleece fader is great. Love him. He's a Please. great guy. Yeah. This isn't about, I, I think that we're just not talking to each other in this conversation. I don't, I think that there's some gears missing, uh, skipping, you know? Yeah. And so my, my point is that we should work together. My point is, I, I, if, if someone were to ask me, now no one's asked me. No one said, hey, Dave, what do you think we should do about the PMC? What, what do you think? No one's like, none of these people who ever say like, oh, this term is it's reactionary or whatever, like, or, or just want to like claim that it's inherently right wing or that it's a form of ad hominem or something like that or a slur. No one ever just asked me like what I'm getting at or why I care. But uh, why don't you ask me right now, Nick? Yeah, like, well, what are you getting at? Why do well, why do you care? Oh my god! Thank you so much, Nick. That's a great. No, this question. is this is something that <laughs> me and Andrew deal with too, though. In that we're talking Lacan, we're reading through these seminars. We are not experts. We have not been studying this stuff for decades. I've been studying Lacan, Zizek, the Slovene school, psychoanalysis for a little over two years. So I am absolutely self-admitted novice, but it's like, I, I didn't think it was illegal to talk about these things. And we don't present ourselves as two people who are like, I'm, we're going to do this uh, line item reading of Lacan and tell you exactly what he's saying. We're, we're struggling too. So when people tell us that we're misinterpreting something that we don't get Lacan, that we're, you know, just two dunces dude bros like just do two dude bros trying to read this and, and just riffing off of it then it's like all right that's one thing you could just right. shit on us but then like well uh, we would love to be corrected by someone who is in the know but it's like th there's also what comes with that is this sort of also door of the law right and now right. i will close the door like Shutting yeah. off, like, oh, also, I will not deign to explain things to you because you, like, uh, that's not what I do. I just tell you right. when you're wrong. I police who gets to talk about this. And then I, I dip. And it's like, right. well, that's not fair. Like, <laughs> call me naive. Maybe I'm bourgeois for thinking that, like, education is supposed to be free and widely available and that we right. should all be... Uh, you know, talking to people in different discursive registers. So right. please, if we're wrong, tell us. But so far, no one's really engaged with us at that level. And it's That's it's interesting. Diagnosis. It's interesting because even though like the institutions of the university and higher learning, right, you know, they still tell you what to do. And of course, the whole thing that the theme of this is, you know, fleshing out what the PMC is and, and even relating to academia. But the main thing is, is that, there is a sort of coexistence between that and a sort of democratization of uh, information and knowledge that's going on onto the internet where people mm. who are in the university or not are in there. So it's like there's this coexistence and maybe even a cohesion of both. And this is the example right there that you gave, you know, people in the comments of like, you don't know what you're talking about. 
And it's almost like it's this like crude, like, you know, Greco-Roman mystery cult of like those who are not adept in geometry, please do not enter type shit. It's just like, so it's like, what are we supposed to do then? Like, you know, initiate us. It's like, let us be some neophytes then. But it's just like, no, it's just like you have no right to speak. Hush. Um, and like, you know, at the end of the day, like we're, we're not these experts, but, you know, witnessing a lot of these talks like it's just like you're supposed to interpassively believe like they're correct like even if you don't agree with them it's just like you have to hold this sort of you know stance in which it's like oh they are the the subject supposed to know even if i don't uh, their their position doesn't align with my beliefs like they're still a subject supposed to know we, we just don't have this question it's like this weird communication that's unspoken of and what i was saying it's like one thing that, and this is why I don't go on Twitter because of just like all the constant discourse of politics, but just like people could have these misunderstandings and arguments, but at the end of the day, they get off of it, right? And then it's just like they come back for some more and they continuously do it, and that's fine. But the funny thing is, is like there's actually no hystericization in all these disagreements. And it's like once you're hystericized, then it becomes a problem. It's like I would, I enjoy having this like co- cohesion and like, uh, sort of aggressive debate with somebody and then we just stop tweeting or we just stop going into comments right it's the jouissance of it and then it's like once somebody actually has an honest question uh can you elaborate can you ask me on my stance or it's like can you can you give me some sources it's like no i'm not here to teach you or it's you know sorry sorry bud i would prefer not to you don't know what i know you know and it's not an attack on people it's just the honest truth it's just like we're trying to know we're trying to ask because that's what learning is about, right? Well, you right. got to pay the price then, right? Yeah, you know, intuition. Got to pay the troll toll, right? As yeah. Danny DeVito says. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is when I went to the university, like no one was talking about this stuff either, and so, and even when I tried to search out, you know, uh, people who would care about these kinds of things, in most cases, it was you know, you get a bunch of people in a room, twenty to thirty people, you know. Uh, one week, six people the next week. Well, when it's 20 to 30 people, it's the same six people as the next, you know, so it's like there's always six people and then the group expands or contracts, but there's always like that click. And that click is just doing good old fashioned identity politics within the democratic framework where they might say something about greedy capitalists, but they're not thinking about capital. They're not, th- and when, when they think of radical change, they're talking about reparations. And so it's like, okay, well, uh, you know that's fine, but uh, and and yeah, the 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 reason that also matters is because if you've not gotten to be around people who look like you who've had similar experiences, then there is like this coming to Jesus moment, like the consciousness raising. You know that's a real thing. It matters. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. What I am saying though is that like um, these spaces aren't hotbeds for like a sort of class based socialism, um, and I don't mean class reductionist. I mean class based, but. Um, and in fact, one of my memes here is about to dunk on class reductionists, but, uh, yeah. So in re- in response to Nick's question, why do I care about this kind of stuff? I went to, uh, Oakland to interview a former black Panther and lifelong revolutionary. Uh, he's a Marxist, uh, big fan of Lenin, uh, be- during 2020, during lockdown, uh, because he said he was going to die anyway and he didn't care about COVID because he was going to die anyway. Uh, because he had almost died. He had a, a, a near-death experience. And uh, 
So I went to talk to him. Actually, I'll bring Mikey in here and then tell the story. Because Mikey's joining in the chat. Nice, nice. Hello? Mikey? Mikey? Mikey, Mikey, boy. A connecting audio. Nice. Yo, Mikey. And I might be a little late for dinner. Um... It's getting cold tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, are you there? You will not tell me. I will tell you. <laughs> what's What's up? How you doing? Oh, uh, chilling. Cool. All right. Well, um, you're you're not going to have your. Video. I'm not trying to der derail it. I'm just stopping in for a second. Were you listening? Up until this point, yeah, I've listened to all of it. Okay, cool. Um, well, you did you hear me gearing up to tell the story about going down and interviewing this lifelong activist, former Black Panther Marxist activist guy in 2020? Did you just say that? Yeah, yeah. So that's the no, I next. didn't do that. Okay, so this story. Let me tell the story really quick. Is this the Black Panther you've interviewed be before? Yeah, yeah, it was on my channel. Okay. I'm not, I'm not going to say his name no. anymore because what I'm about to say reflects poorly on him. And I, I don't think anybody who's following my stuff currently would connect the dots or be able. But here's the thing: off camera, off off the record, um, the he kept kind of reaming us for not keeping our shit succinct and doing ten minute episodes because for the for the for the podcast, which is no longer going on, by the way. Um, for for the pocket, the ideal was three hour conversations, getting to know the people in our lives, and the reason for the three hour thing is because like people aren't having real conversations. People are on the go, blah blah blah, and so it's nice to set up a microphone and be like, we're gonna do real talk, and we're gonna really get to know you, and we're gonna give it the time that it takes, and that was the theme of the whole podcast. And you mm -hmm. know, we talked to all kinds of people who believed all kinds of stuff, some of them quite in the Looney Tunes region, and uh, but other people who I agree with on a lot of things and whatever. Anyway, so here we go to have this conversation or whatever. And he kept, keeps being like, workers don't want, workers don't want to hear this. Workers don't want to have you blah, 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 for, you know, three hours. And I was like, Joe Rogan gets more listens in a day than all of the mainstream media outlets do in a whole week combined. And that's a three-hour podcast. That's currently the industry standard. The fact that he's got like 150 million listeners and like Fox has like 50 million or something like that. Like that fucking means something. That We should be taking notes. People are dying for real conversations. And so I'm getting all animated saying this stuff. And then he's like, oh, no, please. He literally, that's, he just went, no, plebe, you people, he's like, you think an engineer has a time to listen to that? And I was just like, an engineer? I'm talking about grocery store workers. I'm talking about people who are stocking shelves and have an earbud in their ear. I'm talking about truck drivers. And he goes, he's like, those are inferior human resources. He's like, he's like, we want to be talking to the technicians. We want to be talking yeah. to the he said, we want to be talking to the industrial proletariat. And I was like... As a technician myself, we're always listening to freaking podcasts or music, whether it's on a speaker or in our earbuds. So, you know, maybe you should take notes by actually talking to technicians. You know, as an, as an electrician, yeah. 
We are. <laughs> look, look, and I don't, I don't mean to hate or anything. I, I, look, I'm. He's an elder. Elders are not people whose opinions I try to change. They're people who I try Dog. to, I try to learn from them. And so the fact that that was not getting through, I was like, all right. Uh, that's fine for me. If if the, if I'm not getting anywhere with an elder, I I just stop. I do this with Mikey all the time. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye, Mikey. Yeah, no. Okay, so but inferior human resources was actually something he said on three occasions, and the fact. So that, I, I'm in. I'm inferior human resources, right? Yeah. 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 You're okay. not. You're not. The advanced proletariat. You're one of those practical lupin prol types, you know. And so, look, here's the thing: there is something to that. If you are Lenin, you're not trying to talk to every fucking know nothing. You are. If you were Lenin, and you know, to be fair to this guy, he's a Leninist. Okay. If if that's what you're doing and that's what you care about, you'd be wanting to talk to the people who call the shots and know their shit. Okay. Fair enough. But what are we? Currently, in the United States, uh, a lot of people work in jobs like we work, okay? And, yeah. I do, and I think that they're dying to hear real conversations, not just where some activist comes on and says, here's how it's going to be, X, Y, and Z, now you know, you're welcome, bye-bye, right? And then the worker who's like, oh, okay, X, Y, and Z, got it, back to work. It's like, no, 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 people, people want to be able to process and think for themselves, and so... Um, this was a formative experience for me. I did not use the term PMC prior to that, I do not think. And uh, I kept going deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole. And it's like, okay, if the, because he hates the liberal mode and the rad libs in the Bay Area, right? Like he's been, he's been doing the activist thing his whole life. He hates these people, can't stand them, still works with them, but critically, right? Um, he works with black nationalists. Critically, you know, he he has his principled disagreements with them as well, but he still works with them on some things. Okay, that's great. But for all of that, I just was totally shocked to hear this term inferior human resources used unironically. And so then the deeper I go, the, the more I'm like, oh, this, this is like a rich tradition. The elitism, the reification of meritocracy, the idea that those who did good in school are of a special kind of stuff, right? That, that has become a very real thing to me. And if you don't have a better theoretical way of making sense of it, then I'm going to keep going with this for the time being. And so the memes that I have up on the screen kind of get at what I'm trying to talk about in what should be hopefully a little bit more approachable. So this is the old lady on the grass She's got the knife behind her back and she's coaxing a rabbit towards herself. And I love this format, by the way. It says, but I put above her head, I put PMC influencer. And then I put over the rabbit, a mass movement of disenfranchised workers. And then beneath the knife, I put, we're both so privileged discourse. Okay. This is something that is very normal for a person in the regular working class to meet someone from college who's going to make a six-figure income, even if they're not yet, 
looking at them dead in the eye, just being like, well, we have so much privilege. We've had it so good. And usually this is in a racial context. This can also obviously be in like a man talking to another man. Um, one example of it was somebody in my life who was like, who looked at me, this was like a year ago and said, well, we white guys have had it so easy. And I was like looking at him and it's like, I know that he just got a $14,000 bonus at his work that he makes six figures. And I've not made more than 10 grand in a year in the last like seven years. And I grew up eating oatmeal for breakfast, ramen for lunch. And then like the same three meals over and over and over again for dinner, all my clothes came from the thrift store and no, I couldn't do sports or anything like that because of money. And so it's like to hear, oh, well, we have it. We white guys, we've had it so easy. No irony, just dead serious. Like, yeah, we've, we've really had the world put on a platter and handed to us, haven't we? And I'm just like, there's no class analysis there. You've... But, but he, he's a worker. He considers himself to be a worker. So he's the one doing identity politics. PMC critique is to come in and counter that. It's not to use identity politics to, to say, your opinion doesn't matter because you make six figures. No, fucking people who make six figures are the ones we need. We need you. Like you're absolutely essential to anything that could possibly ever change. Uh, think about angles. Without without angles, no marks. Who was angles? Yeah. Son of a factory owner. Yeah, okay. or, or a mill worker. Okay, what about Felix Weiss? You all know who Felix Weiss is. He's even less known, but without Felix Weiss, no Horkheimer being able to fund the Frankfurt School because Felix Weiss yeah. had very, very deep pockets and was giving all this money to Horkheimer. And without Horkheimer getting that money from Felix Weiss, no Adorno. And currently today... <clears throat> I'm in that Horkheimer role running Theory Underground, and I would say Michael Downs is over here in the Adorno role. That's a compliment. I don't want to be Horkheimer. It's just the reality of the situation. And uh, we just got a really big donation that's actually going to pay. Can I say I don't, want to be, I don't want to be Adorno? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and then, like, you got me who's, like, everybody hates the military, so I'm called an imperialist by, like, you know, foreign Marxists. So it's like, okay, fuck me, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm just cracking jokes over here. Yeah. <laughs> Look, so anyway. You're not allowed to joke. Yeah, no more joking. <laughs> right, that's you. the other thing. In academia, when we're talking about this stuff, no jokes. No jokes. You're not to be taken seriously. Serious. It's a serious business, guys. No, actually, I think that joking on your part is a form of deflection and it's a form of white supremacy because you are showing a blatant form of white confidence in public. In public. So how dare, how fucking dare you, Nick, making jokes about things? Yeah, see, these people exist, right? And so because those kinds of arguments or attacks or whatever you want to say, because that shit exists, any professor who's on the left has probably had to deal with that stuff every fucking class they ever taught. That's I guess I mean from listening to the discussion and I believe it was you Nick who who brought this up. I guess my thing I want like I feel bad for them. I I do. I I feel like they're all so many leftist intellectuals are stuck between a rock and a hard place or stuck between a rock and 14 hard places. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, you know 
are you are you a true leftist? Well, then you got the the Marxists who'll come at you. Then you have the liberal leftists who'll come at, and then anarchists. Yeah, right. And then <laughs> if you're a philosopher, then you're trying to balance philosophy with praxis, and those two can contradict very easily. It's one thing. I mean, as a philosopher, can believe some really counterintuitive things, right? I mean, philosophers challenge presuppositions, fundamental presuppositions. Yet at the same time, if you're a philosopher who's engaged in politics, you know, I got to bracket that shit out too. If I'm trying to organize or be part of any type of activist organization in any, any way, shape or form. So I don't know. I just, I just feel bad for him on some level. I feel really bad for anybody who's we, we we were making jokes about it with the memes back when with the in defense of Zizek stream. I remember like, you know, the Squidward up in the blinds looking out the window down at uh, Patrick and SpongeBob running along laughing. And, you know, Squidward's clearly not happy. He's all resentful. And I put uh, what PM, PMC academics who have to mm-hmm. be so careful about everything they say, seeing that we don't give a fuck about getting canceled or whatever. Like, yeah. We are in a special situation and I don't want to make too much light of it. It is actually kind of, I mean, it's precarious in its own way, but it's, yeah, we get to kind of be a little less worried about this kind of stuff. Um, The last meme I want to show is from this bunch, because there's a bunch. You can just go to my uh, Instagram, Theory Underground. Dank memes. Yeah, you can go check (laughs) check the dank memes there. But, um, oh, actually, I will read this one, though. It's, it's, uh. Peter Griffin uh, from Family Guy with the gun. Um, what, what's the daughter's name? Meg. <laughs> and and Meg, Meg looks distraught and Peter's saying, I just want to talk to him. Okay. And I said, when her dad finds out that her total chat of a boyfriend got her to enroll in a theory underground course on the concept of the PMC. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw it. <laughs> 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 right because like no suburbanite father wants their daughter to start thinking about about you don't know no it's just a job it's just honest work it's just a job like anybody else yeah i work for an accounting firm what's the difference between that and a factory no difference whatsoever don't worry about it but the uh the one that i wanted to the one i wanted to comment on because i really wanted to get this out there look you can go look at the time it was posted this was posted before the the twitter back and forth I did not have him in mind in any way, shape, or form, and I don't think this applies to Matthew. But it's—I I, want—I only want to be clear about it because otherwise, people would look at this and just be like, "Oh, that's what this is about." No, it's not—it's not about that. I said, "Erratic—it's that—it's that." What is this? How do you even describe the format where it's like the guy who's like looking and then he looks away? He's kind of like a stuff. He's like a puppet or something. I don't even. Yeah. Know yeah, yeah. I don't even. It's know like a muppet, from. I think. I don't even know what it's from. Okay. No, yeah. I don't know either. Well, basically, it's kind of like the, oh, shit, I'm going to keep walking, act like I didn't see that. Um, but anyway, it says, a radical professor realizing that coming from the working class does not mean you are still in or of the working class, much less that you are for the working class. See, now that shouldn't be too... Contra- I, I do believe, by the way, that Matthew Fleecefader is... Uh, for the working class. I was never saying that he's not. And I don't want people to confuse that. I, I think he's for the working class. That's why he has a problem with the con- concept of the PMC. It's a theoretical dispute. 
Um, and so hope, hopefully we'll talk about it eventually. But my point is that, you know, he wouldn't care about the concept at some level if it wasn't for the fact that he cares about class and he thinks that this is confusing the issue. Um, obviously, for all the reasons that I've iterated so far, I do think it matters. But there we have it. Now, the last meme. And this is the one that really, when Nick asked me the wonderful question, I don't even know how he came up with such a good question earlier um, about why I care about this stuff. Um, outside of the, the story I already told, outside of the absolute disaster that was the Democratic Socialists of America National Convention in 2019, um, outside of like the shenanigans that you saw there, which cannot be explained away with a normal class analysis, um, there's this, and it comes down to time-energy theory, which to me, everything comes down to time-energy theory. And so basically, I've got the black dude making the, what the fuck are you talking about face? With the question uh, Nick Young. Is it Nick, Nick Young? Young. Okay. Yeah, he's a basketball player. I forget what team though, but yeah, it's Nick Young. Okay, I need to go do my homework. <laughs> Nick Young being like, what? And <laughs> the, <love> that meme. <laughs> the caption says, a totally self-actualized PMC with great salary, flexible work hours, and a fulfilled sense of status and entitlement, trying to make sense of time energy theory. Look, this is what it comes down to. When all the people who are saying, like having these arguments about revolution versus reform, and talking about a fundamental transformation of society that will bring public goods to everybody, when the overwhelming majority of them involved are going to have great salaries, flexible work hours, and a fulfilled sense of status and entitlement that's just a part of their profession. Meaning that when their grandma asks them what they're doing with their lives or finds out about what they're currently like on the path to, to getting, they get a congratulations. They get a, oh, that's, that's good. Or people, like, people ask them, and be like, oh, they're just getting to meet you. And they say, well, what do you do for a living? Oh, yeah, well, I work for an accounting firm. They, people go, oh. Yeah, that's, whoa, this sounds important. Yeah, it sounds like you make a lot of money. That's very good, right? So there's a sense of status and entitlement that comes with that. And uh, when the overwhelming majority of people representing the working class think of themselves as working class, but there is this contradiction involved and that's being obfuscated and not recognized or acknowledged, my concern is that if there was a revolution, or a lot of reforms that were going to fundamentally transform society. In either case, so long as that's true, that this is not being acknowledged and is not consciously like at the forefront for them, uh, then time energy will not be one of those public socialized goods, right? Because what's being reified and presupposed is the division of labor in capitalist society, right? You, it would be quite normal to find a a person in the DSA, for instance, who would be like, well, yeah, I want to automate shitty jobs. Yeah, but what about abolish most PMC jobs? Like most PMC jobs don't need to have this elevated status that they do. They have a monopoly of expertise. Why is it a monopoly? It's, I mean, you can't even get into a nursing program without going through a fucking grinder. Like the, the amount of work you have to do just to get the credential that has very little to do with what you're actually doing. Why? And Catherine Liu is really good for this. She brings up the, the, the Barefoot Doctors campaign and the Cultural Revolution. Whenever you have like these populist revolutionary overthrows of the credentialed class, doctors or nurses at least, the, the bar to access is removed 
and people are given the basic tools they need to go be a nurse and then boom, it's not like this prestigious thing anymore and it shouldn't be, right? Most of those tasks, you don't need a, it's not like you need a degree to go put a wet towel on someone's forehead and ask them how they're feeling and then put a thermometer in their mouth, right? But the, there's been an artificial monopolization uh, or an artificial bolstering of scarcity and therefore a monopolization within these professions where it's essential labor, but also the creation of bullshit jobs. Because I'm not saying nurses, but there's a lot of bullshit jobs that come along as well, like accounting firms, uh, a lot of lawyers, for instance, corporate lawyers. Um, anyway, and having flexible work hours and a fulfilled sense of, oh, what I'm doing matters you're not going to be thinking about time energy theory. The people who think about time energy theory are people who have to go to work but would rather be studying philosophy and you can't study philosophy without six-hour blocks of time. It's just impossible. You can't learn the violin without six-hour blocks of time. Readily repeatable in your week. Infused with energy and if you don't have that, you're shit out of luck. And so the people who want it right now are the inferior human resources because we feel it at the gut level viscerally and that's my whole that's 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 it that's my whole thing that's why i care we're Welcome. spitting definitely <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel it every moment i feel it now <laughs> i know I, after this i'm supposed to i'm still supposed to go post the weekly right post and also uh Here's another meme. It's Anakin versus Padme, right? Where oh yeah, Anakin, Attack of the Clones. Yeah, and Anakin says something all serious, and then she laughs and says something, and then is it like, "Oh, you don't really mean that," or like, and then he's like, like all looking all serious, and then she's like, <laughs> her, her look is all like, "Oh fuck." Well, anyway, I put I put James Burnham over Anakin's head and Barbara Ehrenreich over Padme, right? And then I and then I have Burnham saying. And by the way, just context, James Burnham was a Trotskyist in America who eventually wrote the managerial, managerial revolution because mm. he, he broke from his Marxism. And, and this is basically his thesis that Anakin is saying, which is leftists and even many liberals think capitalism leads to a socialist society. But what we see is, regardless of expressed ideology, the transition to managerial control. And so then Barbara Ehrenreich is all laughing. She's all, so you think we should organize some section of those managers with the workers against the capitalists, right? And then he just looks. And she's like, oh, fuck. Uh, and the reason I share this one right now is just because I want people to know, like, uh, I'm not just some Burnham simp. I think that, uh, you know, his the way he gave up on Marxism, I can understand why he did by reading the managerial revolution, but his salute, he doesn't have a solution. What just become anti-democrat, just become anti-liberal, just become anti-leftist, just become what anti-labor. That's it. Become anti-labor is the solution. That's not going to work. So welcome back. It almost seems like, it almost seems like a sort of like the more you become anti anything, it's like almost like political nihilism. Yeah, I would agree with that. So that's, I'm not anti-PMC. I am pro-professional managerial class consciousness, which is the name of the course, is professional PMC consciousness. What I'm saying is the only way, the only hope for 
abolishing shitty jobs and automating the ones that cannot be abolished if and redistributing the ones that can't be automated so that they become societal chores and not someone's entire right. life that consumes their soul. The only way to do that is for the PMC to develop some consciousness. And the PMC is very good at developing consciousness about race, gender, and the problem with that is it always becomes identity politics and representational policies. What I'm saying is, no, whether you're revolutionary, reformist, vanguardist, whatever, I just want that consciousness to be there, which is, hey, a lot of our jobs are bullshit. Also, we have a, an inflated self import, uh, a sense of importance that comes with, yeah, we worked our asses off for this. But just because we worked our asses off for this doesn't mean that this would be what I would be doing if we were in the society we want to be moving into, right? All right, any questions or closing comments? I got to go eat soon. I've got a question, like, can we talk about what's, you know, strangely beneficial about certain aspects of identity politics in that sense? Like, why throw the, the baby out with the bathwater? Not in terms of like, oh, identity politics is an ideology to adhere to, but... Um, is there anything good that comes from the PMC in this sense? I would say so. And if anybody else wants to contribute, I'll let you go first. You waited too long. I'm going to go. All right. So this is it. If you have a bunch of people in a room and they are making the code for a water fountain that is going to automatically shoot water out when you put your hand in front of it and they're all white. Something that has actually occurred is that they were coded it to just see a white skin and then turn on. Now, that wasn't done to bar access to black people but it or people of color more broadly, but it worked out that way. Okay, so... That is an example of how not having diversity in plan, you know, planning of things that affects everybody can create real issues, right? That's like a, one of the best examples. Obviously, the more broader example is just like growing up in a society where you never see people who look like yourself, like that actually feels bad, right? And then, and, oh, never seeing people who look different than you in positions of power. Now you see someone in a position of power who looks different from you and it's creating all this weird psychological shit beneath the surface, right? Like there's there at the, at the level of representational politics, there is something to it, right? Like, uh, and so in, in that sense that there is something to it, we could also say that the idpolization of the PMC critique would also have something to it as well, right? Like, the Democratic Socialists of America being primarily comprised of people who are uh, college-educated, salary-track, you know, class-ascendant would make you think, well, then what's being left out, right? So that's where you get this hyper, hyper sensitivity bullshit where they're like, oh, we can't clap. If we clap, it might trigger someone. It's just like, 
you guys already had a special little room for people who were overwhelmed by the sensory overload where they could have the volume at the level they wanted to and draw in their coloring books, right? But when you give a hypersensitive person an inch, they take a mile, right? Which is why I think we all come off a little bit more like, whatever, fuck it. At the end of the day, there is a place for hypersensitivity. Like a per there are very sensitive people. They're not just cultivating it to be activists. But then there's also a lot of college students who cultivate their sense, like how easily offended they get and how sensitive they are about things because they think that that makes them virtuous and that this is what they need to do to represent their people, right? Like a beautiful soul mentality in like trying to create representation for everybody. Even if they don't personally feel like that, it's like they want to sort of fill the void by identifying with other sort of in, uh, minoritarian groups of, of any identity, whether it's race, sex, gender, or like sort of uh, disability and speak for them. It's like, I know your pain. And, and that's the whole thing of universalizing that and exacerbating that to an extent where it affects every material condition. Right. And so the, the point then is, I mean, if, if there's something to identity politics or representational like thinking in this sense, then yeah, diversifying the, you know, social change organizations that want to do stuff for the working class would mean maybe you need a lot more warehouse workers in there. Maybe you need a lot more construction workers in there. Maybe, okay, I understand the problems with this. Uh, that's why I don't go there, right? I, I think it would be better for the people who are involved to just become conscious of the fact that their hypersensitive fucking like very specially curated little worlds are not ones that regular working people live in. That regular working people, tell Mikey, how many times did you get called a, what a dickhead today? Was that what, what did you get called? Dog shit. <laughs> you got called dog shit. What? I, I yeah I got by I got called dog shit by f four times by four different people and that was before noon. Today. Yeah. Yeah. You're fucking dog shit. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, right? Get the fuck out of here. And and that's look that's so much of this distinction between educated liberal types and working class types is disposition. Like so many, I think of the ideas or, or the issues could be worked through. It's a, it's a difference in disposition. Everybody I work with doesn't matter. Gender doesn't matter. Race. Fuck you, motherfucker. Fuck off. Fuck. Get the fuck out of my face. Right. Everybody does this all day. That's how everybody relates. And I mean that, and that's, that's tame. I mean, you know, they're mean to each other. I guess that's uh, what I'm trying to working class people when they're at work are mean to each other. They yeah. are. And yeah, I don't know. Like it. And, and there's all the talk of like, we'll get thicker skin. I mean, I know I had to deal with the motherfuckers because I, I wanted to fight them. Like I couldn't stand these motherfuckers at first. And yeah. After a while, you know, I, I just, you, you get used to it. And here's the thing, right? It is the workers. It's not management. It's not the capitalists. It's workers who kind of generate this dynamic, at least a certain type of warehouse workers. And I say warehouse workers because I deliver to other warehouses. They're just like us right? like, <laughs> yeah, at, at my yeah. warehouse. Like, yeah, you, you can tell warehouse workers like that, right? 
And so that's my thing. I work with white guys, black guys, Mexican guys, uh, women, men, like, right. All of them can't stand wokeness, right? Then that, you know, they're going to talk about SJWs. Uh, not so much. It's usually just woke, right? But here's the thing. Some of them are on the right. Some of them are on the left, but they all hate woke shit. And it's a common ground with us. And so that this is part of the issue, right? Like if you look at the internet, that what I just said, you're not going to find that on the internet because it's two groups or scripts or codes constantly at war with each other. But in my concrete experience and people can go, well, that's anecdotal. Yeah. But I think, it, I think there's more general truth to it than just my situation. Concretely, a lot of people who are left and right were vote. A lot of people who vote Democrat or vote Republican, they still can get along more or less at work and they're not fighting these big online culture war issues and most of them all dis dislike woke elitist politics. And that's part of what this working with these guys every day has shown me is like there there's a kind of I, I mean I'm gonna sound Baudry Ardrian here, but I guess so be it. Like some there's some simulatory dimension with the online culture war that right. Like the desert of the real has been forgotten. And I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, yeah, maybe I kind of am saying, I don't care. Baudrillard could give me shit, but yeah, because we all, okay. Baudrillard critiques basic Marxist concepts. Okay. Mirror projection, his books, mirror production where he does this, but okay. If, if I don't call working class wage labor jobs, the real, okay. Let's bracket that out. Whatever. Point is, that shit does not correspond to what you see online. And I think that's part of what your in intent is here, Dave, is you're trying to go, you guys are so online, and it determines everything you think about politics, and whatever's going on in the real world, or the not online world, does not correspond to this culture war dynamic. Mm -hmm. And what you find is most people in America, I don't care what their race or gender or anything like that. If they're working poor, right? They care about economics yet. They don't have a sense that there's any hope in that regard, that there is no alternative they're all capitalists, realists, and they don't want to be, but there's a capitalist, realist hopelessness in all of them. Mm -hmm. And they don't, they, you know, these culture war issues, most of them don't care. Most of them are not going to die on the hill of abortion or whatever else. Like they just want their material conditions to get better. And, but they, they don't see any hope in that regard. And un unless some sort of different form of politics emerges, you're never going to get them to go along with what's going on. And um, 
the the elitism thing. I mean, this is the hard thing that a lot of Democrats or liberal leftists or woke, whatever you want to call, it, I don't care about the term, but they don't get how off-putting they are to most people. And it's look, there's a long history of anti-intellectualism uh, in America going back to Christianity, and there's a lot of yeah, Protestant work ethic and all, you know, there's a lot of factors that bring that in. But fact is, if you do manual labor every day, you don't want to hear what somebody in a university tells you you're supposed to believe and think. And it makes you kind of hate them. And that, I think, is the disconnect, is that we can try to, the you know, they, they'll sit around and they'll, they'll write essays and shit. And the problem is, most people think you're just like, they don't like you. It's, I mean, you can try to think through it a million different ways, but you're unlikable to them. And that's, the, that's what I deal with, with everybody. I, I, in my world, in my, you know, my workspace, like they, they just don't like them. They don't trust them. And, and you have to code switch in a sense. Is, say what? And you have to code switch in a sense. Yeah. Like adapt to the way, yeah. To the way that people talk. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. Like they, it sounds funny. Like, but they'll, they'd say none of these, none of these motherfuckers speak my language. Like they, they, they feel like there's such a radical disconnect between the professional managerial type, whatever, however we want to talk about it. But yeah, they just feel like, you know, and, and it's funny, right? It, I'm not even saying it's a good principle. I'm just trying. I'm almost trying to just be descriptive here. It, it started it, like it goes back to that George Bush shit. Like, oh, he's the type of guy I could sit and have a beer with. I think that's a really shitty criteria for a, who you're going to vote for for president. But it is kind of a default setting now in America where they want a president that they see themselves reflected in. And so. Yeah, we have all these really obscene aspects of Trump, right? The, the the racist shit he did and everything. But the fact that he just loves McDonald's, I know it sounds funny, but it, it's one of these things they identify with. That's why, like, so many people dislike Bill Maher, like, in, in the working class. Not because he's a Democrat or he's a liberal, but he comes off as a smug Hollywood prick who will sit there and give working class people shit because their diets aren't as good as his. Well, sorry, Bill. Uh, we don't get to have personal chefs. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and so it, I'm just saying it's that type of dynamic that if they could be self-critical, like you're trying, you're trying to develop PMC conscious. Like if they could tap it, like this shit is not absolute. This, these types of deadlocks can be worked through. Right. But I guess the point, to the PMC is like you motherfuckers are the ones who are going to have to work through them like worker working class people. You're not going to win them over. Uh, and you're the one, like you're the one addressing them They're, in some sense, working class people don't care about you guys in the universities. They don't, you're not part of their world. They don't even think they, it's not on their mind. They don't think they should care about you. Right. You think you're in some way a representative of them, or you think you're speaking for them. That pisses them off. Because they don't, you, they don't view you as their representative at all. And 
if you if you really do want to represent them in some way, shape, or form, or at least try, you're going to have to change up your disposition, your way of engagement. Um, the moralism has to go. The shaming has to go. None of them are going for it. And when you play the identity politics card, like everybody I work with gets along fine racially and everything. And so, I mean, they sit there and they talk about this shit. I hear these conversations they have and they, they laugh at all this shit because they, they're just not, they're not going to view it that they're going to say, look, I, ba- I I treat somebody based on how they treat me. If they treat me with respect, I'll treat them with respect. And that that's as far as it goes with them. And they, they actually, and I'm talking about the black guys and the Mexican guys. Like if you go in there and tell them, Oh, you're supposed to, you know, the, the structural re- dynamic. Of course, there's structural dynamics, but the point is, when they get this sense of like, oh, because of my identity, I'm supposed to have an issue with this person's identity and not treat them like you have a whole society that's been geared towards individualism. Like their basic default ethic is, hey, if you respect me, who I am as an individual, I respect you, who you are as an individual, and they don't. Primary, most of the most working class Americans don't really think of themselves as a member of a larger group that somehow they're, I mean, they know it. We all know it. We know we have particularity in common with other people, of course. But so much of it is if you respect me as an individual, I respect you as an individual. And if they see somebody come in and challenge that, that's where they get that it's a red flag to them. And, and this whole fuck you, fuck you attitude is part of respecting a person because you know that they're not going to narc on you. Okay, Andrew's had his hand raised for a while. Yeah, yeah, no, I just like, I really liked what uh, Mikey was saying. And one thing I want to add is like, even though it's anecdotal, I think it's important because like, it really goes back to something that uh, was said in seminar one from Lacan. And I'm glad he brought up Beaujard and this like sort of simulation you know, of uh, the culture war. We could say like both of the culture war and of like representation of the working class, it always comes back to the elephant, you know, the signifier. It's like, there doesn't need to be an elephant in the room. You know, that's what we have the word elephant for. So we could talk about so many things about, you know, the uh, geographical location, uh, sort of uh, animal rights thing. And like, that's exactly what's going on. And so like, because of the word working class or because of the word cultural war that it takes on so much signification that people could just add on so many uh, sort of dramatizations to it without realizing the sort of either deadlocks or realities that go on within um, working environments, whether it's warehouse, kitchens, um, or like in the military, because the same thing happens in the military. And I work in the warehouse too. So it's like the same shit too. Um, and like when it like yeah like we have different diversity like we have diversity everywhere so it's like um people are going to naturally get along by default as long as it's like you respect them as a person and you don't come off them wrong that's it and it's not to say that you know there isn't some sort of like racism sexism or whatever that goes on but usually if there's a report of it to hr it's always because of some sort of joke right and the reality is the fact it's like real racism and real sexism of harassment or assault that's going on is on the managerial level. It's like, oh, yeah. so, you know, we have to uh, move, you know, uh, 
you know, the manager Harry to another location uh, at this county because, you know, he got caught with this case, you know, it's always like real instances like that are on the on the sort of higher ladder level, right, which is su such a disavow, but like, there's this yeah. huge disavow because like, people that want to represent the working class or want to represent sort of these, uh, you know, identities that feel like they're oppressed or not getting representation enough, they only do so on a level of activism or like the act of protest or uh, internet video essays, TikToks, whatever, but never taking into account the sort of anecdotal experience that's happening where it's like, yo, like black people, Mexicans, white people are getting along at this warehouse. They're getting along in the kitchen right now. And they're like, their way of enjoyment is like, like as Zizek says, it's like, uh, you know, I want to get to know you by telling me the most racist joke that you guys use in, you know, your own, like, you know, culture. Like, that's exactly how it is. And, like, my point is I'm not advocating, you know, racist jokes, but I'm saying it's like, this is the everydayness of experience in the working conditions. It's like, we hate our material conditions. We hate wage labor. So our time to, you know, kind of get you know, through the day is to bag on each other, roast each other, uh, listen to music and, you know, just I can't shit. hurt the capitalists. I can't hurt the yeah. managers and I can't hurt wage labor itself. So I'm going to hurt you, but I'm out. But the, the game is I allow you to hurt me. And so we're each other's punching bags and we let loose our aggression on each other right. with mean jokes or whatever and right or wrong. That's the dynamic. But if you step in and go, Oh, you guys live shitty wage labor lives and you ought to be ashamed of yourselves. Right. <laughs> doesn't work on them. No, yeah, no. no. The point is, is the fact that... orders all fucking day, break your fucking back, pull yeah. these fucking boxes and stacking them on fucking pallets all goddamn day. Fuck you, <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah. That's drive this the truck. <laughs> yeah, the point that. is, it's like the, the whole representation politics is always like around the signifier and like the metaphor of the elephant. It's like, because of this they can say so much and yet little little is like like everything is just so like uh, concealed from the reality of like what's going on with workers i mean I, but i mean that's that's why i wrote the the piece that i just put up on the blog is yeah it's all these kinds of experiences and look that that little essay it, it i have plans to turn it into a book at some point down the road but i guess like like I don't want the idpolization of the working. I don't like I. I don't want to do that shit. No. But but what you're also saying is right. Like and and I like what you were saying earlier about the, there's something to it. When you say that, you're really you're you're doing dialectics. What you're saying is like there's a falsity to it, but in everything there's a certain truth. And like that's what Hegel was always doing was working through the truth and falsity of a given position and he never was just like this is absolutely 100% purely false this is absolutely 100% like it's this dialectical struggle between falsity and truth that he was working through and like Hegel would find some way like what's the truth in astrology what's the truth in conspiracy theories right and it's not going to be where you think it's at I mean he's obviously going to go yeah I think astrology is false in the basic you know or conspiracy theory. But what he would do is he'd find the element of truth that, that's driving that, right? Like that that gets people attuned to it. And it's that that would be the thing. And so look, th there's there's truth in a certain it it pull out 
outlook, of course, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm saying maybe the PMC could benefit, though, from hearing working class people just say, look, it's not like, oh, I have a perspective that you can never tap into. No, but I can also tell you you're you're out of touch with what's going on. And you do need to re readjust. You need to like get tuned in. That's the whole thing, right? It's not that you can never know it. It's like, I'm trying to help you know it. I'm trying mm -hmm. to get you tapped in or tuned in to what's going on that you don't see. And so maybe that's what some, what we can do in some way. Yeah. It's a really quick interjection. Uh, a good criticism of us uh, right now would be that we're being tailists if we don't clarify our position a little bit more because you basically said you did say the thing that I'm going to elaborate on right now, Mikey, which was that that doesn't mean you should act that way. That doesn't mean here's, this is where the dirtbag approach goes wrong they go, oh, well, real workers are actually going to call each other dumb fucks constantly. I mean, I just called fucking Nick and Andrew dumb fucks like it's a joke. But, you know, I just said it like right before we started the stream. Um, I, but that doesn't mean I should do it. Like, obviously, like, can you all imagine if I was constantly going out of my way to do that? Constantly calling people names, constantly busting all your balls. Like I could, I, I mean, it's kind of like puns. Like once you learn to see puns and things and do dad jokes, like you can start to yeah. do them a bit too much. And same thing goes for ball busting. You can go way overboard on that stuff. Oh, oh that happens. I, it, it happens. I see it. Yeah. yeah. And eventually someone's going to get knocked in the fucking face if they, if they do it way too much, like straight up and, and rightfully so. So, or I mean, I'm not even saying rightfully so, but I'm not going to blame the now person. Now you're doing it. it. Now you're yeah, doing yeah, 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 it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to say we should all be this way because tailism is the idea that the that the the advanced workers, the proletariat, the, the the leadership of over the pro the party of the proletariat, like their job is to lead the way, and the tailist idea is like, yeah, but they also should be talking like and working with like regular people to the point where this is where the dirtbag left tendency gets called tailist. Oh, you all start using the N word, start using the R slur. Like, Oh yeah. Okay. On, if on one end people are telling us that we're ableist because we say the word dumb. Okay. Whatever. That's fucking stupid. That's dumb. Whatever. On the other end, you, that doesn't mean you start being like fucking faggot. Ooh, you fucking no, 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 it's fucking yeah. that is the PM that there is there is like a uh uh there are elements of the dirtbag left where they they just that they go joking slurs constantly to where it's like guys you're not actually even approximating any workspace I've ever been in first of all uh and second of all uh just because like Mikey might have to you know rib somebody a little bit because they ribbed him and he they he wants them to know that he's one of them or Yeah, when if you I'm, don't give it back then you're then you are the warehouse bitch and they yeah, walk all over you. Exactly. Exactly. And then your work rate's harder. Yeah, and so obviously you got to you got to flip shit back when you get it, but that doesn't mean that when you go to the DSA convention then you start acting like you're in your warehouse. You're right. That's and so Taylor. Here's my just, thing. When I said though, like, look, I don't even, I don't even like the dynamic. I'm not sitting here celebrating it. 
it's no. a pain in the ass to deal with. Like I'm much more like I have a, a chill attitude. Like just you do you leave me the fuck alone. I don't even really want to talk to you. Just just go away. Right. But that's also because I'm walking around and OK, maybe this, this is where they don't relate to me. I am walking around thinking about. The Joan Kopchek book I just read, right? Like, and I'm like, leave me alone. I'm thinking about yeah. Kopchak. Fuck off, right? <laughs> Sorry, they're not doing that. I don't give a shit if. Oh well, what are you saying? They're 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 not capable of thought. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know yet. I'm I'm still waiting to find out. No, I'm just saying. They're there, and it's their form of jouissance is giving each other shit. It gives each other trouble, right? It makes things interesting. If they didn't speak to each other and if they were always respectful, it'd be so boring and uneventful. Like everybody lives for the next little juicy bit of gossip or who got mad at who and told them to fuck off for real. Like, because other than that, there's nothing to keep you like it's, it makes the workday entertaining and thereby makes it go faster. And like, so what I'm saying is there's a weird libidinal logic at work and why they do what they do. Like it speeds up time. Uh, it's entertaining. It's, it's, it's the opposite. It's not boring. Right. So even though there is all this obscene shit going on in it, like that's precisely what gets them through the day. And to me, it's a pain in the ass. I'd rather just be bored and left alone <laughs> so I can think about Joan Kopchak, you know, and what she said and read my desire. But they're not like that. And and, and if, it, their attitude is if somebody was to come in and give a shit for breaking each other's balls and joking, like, we live shitty lives. We do this to get through the day. Fuck off. Right? Yeah. So... Yeah, we're, that's the other know, thing. Like, that's the other thing. We don't, yeah, w capitalists will say that we chose to be here, but we don't feel like we chose to be here. We have to be here. And so while we're, we have to be here, you flip me shit. I'm going to flip you fucking shit right back. And so there is a <laughs> respect and camaraderie that's built there. But I am, and, and anyway, we're not tailless because we're not, we're, we're definitely, we're, oh, look, if you're in a situation where that's going to make things better for you, Good, go for it. But also, that's not going to be better for you if you're in a representational role. Now, Trump coming out and like <laughs> making fun of someone who's disabled or yeah. or something like that. Like, yeah, okay, that's an example of of this. Like, the reason a, a working class person could be like, hey, nice, is because obviously, like, you know how posh and serious they all are, and how they it's like, ha, huh, you know, this it's a, it's ruining their day because they they can't give it back. They're getting it, but they can't give it back. The, the enjoyment is not even necessarily seeing Trump do it. It's you're seeing him do it and seeing that they look, can't do jack shit with it. No, and that's I mean, look, the 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 left never figured this out, and this is why I think guys like Todd McGowan are so important, right? Because Todd, he, Todd, even more than Zizek, I think. I think Todd, Todd figured out the Trump thing, which is just like, and, and if you know Lacan 101 and how. You know, it's applied to society. It, it's pretty easy. But look, Zizek has this great quote, right? Um, great joke, I should say. Uh, it's a funny joke. He says, okay, imagine uh, you, you stumble upon a genie, 
And the genie says, hey, how you doing? I'm going to grant you one wish. And the guy goes, oh, great. Cool. Okay. And the genie says, there's one condition. Whatever I do to you, I'm going to do that double to your neighbor. And dude thinks for a second. He goes, take one of my eyes. Right? So here's here's the point, right? So many of the, the people who got hooked on Trump, and it was definitely they were hooked. It's a, it's a libidinal thing. It's right? a cult. Yeah. It's because he was stealing the enjoyment from the people who they feel like stole their enjoyment. They feel like the, the, the liberal Washington system has fucked them over, have fucked their children out of a future, and they see this guy come along, and he totally triggers Washington on, on both sides initially, right? And when they see him hurting the people whom they felt have hurt them, there's an identification with them. Like, it's not even that all of them really liked him so much. It's just he was, he, he was the one stealing the enjoyment from Washington. From that, from draining the swamp, right? And it's this weird thing with human beings, this unconscious jouissance logic, right? This enjoyment logic that we're always talking about. Mm -hmm. That this is what gets people's fantasies invested in certain figures, or you know, you know, why they have such a libidinal attachment to certain figures and. Once you bring psychoanalysis into these situations, they're not puzzling anymore. They make a lot of sense. And that, I mean, that's why I think psychoanalysis is so important for studying politics and, and capitalism and economics and all that, because it, what it brings to the table is a kind of logic that standard logic doesn't account for. And when you bring this logic of enjoyment into the situation so many things that seem mysterious or perplexing are not mysterious and perplexing anymore so would you go dave all right i'm back i'm back okay all right, all right. I, I had to i'm gonna have to get going in a second i gotta go in a second too uh, two things i want to say adam Adam Matt in the chat said someone left long enough alone in a room with nothing besides a button that gives them pain will eventually push that button. And then you apply <laughs> that, you plot, you apply that into a much more stressful and repressing environment where you've got to control yourself in a lot of ways that have been inculcated in you by every fucking authority figure and system in the society that you grew up in. And that just compounds. And that's where you got to think about libidinal economy and theories of subjectivity that are more nuanced. And so that's what we've been talking about. And that was the other thing that happened in the last week, by the way, everybody. We, this was the, re, the week review conversation. It was supposed to be 45 minutes and then be over. But you know what? Fuck it. I went to Disneyland and I joined a stream that uh, Douglas Lane and Ashley Frowley and Ben Burgess, they were doing something with Sublation Media. And I came on because I – the I. I didn't know that I was emailed the link because I was on a ride at Disneyland and I thought that I'd get it the day before. And so when I didn't get it and I didn't get a response to my email, I just thought, oh, it's not <laughs> happening. And so I just thought it's not happening. And then well, I get a I'm message. I'm the one who was just like, are you, what, where are you? Like, yeah. are you going to go on the Sublation Media Mikey's stream? Like, They're waiting for you. And you're yeah, like, what? 
Yeah, and then I saw a message from Ashley saying the same thing. And I was like, but you did. Without you, I would have probably missed it. And it all worked out really well. I put the funniest clip uh, up on the channel. It's a minute long, but it's just, you know, it's I'm like right there in front of the Millennium Falcon and there's stormtroopers walking around and we're I'm arguing about theory and stuff like that. And um, I, I bring up, why did I bring all of this up? What, what, what are the... What part of the weekly review. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I went on Celebration Media. It was a big deal to some people because some people were really excited about it. I felt I was honored to be on. It was a, it was great uh, experience. And so hopefully one of these days there will be a real conversation, not just like that short thing that happened because yeah, I, I apologize. It did not work out the way I planned. But um, yeah, did Mikey, did you see the meme? You don't have the screen. You don't have YouTube up in front of you, do you? Oh, okay. Hold so on. wait, 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 wait. Some, I, I can. I can hold on. Oh, okay. Well, it's been up for so long that even though there's that leg, I know you'll see it. I posted but I mean, a meme in the group chat about work too. Oh, is <laughs> that is it the one in the group chat? No, it, no. He posted up one about you. Hold <laughs> the on. junk I, object. It's I good. posted the John Silver explaining <laughs> to Anna yeah. J. It's the John Silver explaining to Anna J. Meme format which is you know you got a guy at the party with a beer and he's like yeah. and it, it's awkward because he's like shorter than her and i know that that factors in and he's like clearly mansplaining or like you know has that look and she looks rattled like why are you talking to me and so anyway i put over it so the, the fun part is is that mikey's that girl in this in this meme so it goes it go, i wrote I wrote the coworker talking to Mikey while he is trying to think about Joan Kopjack. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, and I'll just say that at Amazon, uh, look, I've worked in, I've worked in uh, five areas of the construction field. Uh, installation, I worked at the longest because it was the least effort for the most money, even though it was uncomfortable. I made bank. And I was only 18 years old making bank at the moment. And I mean, for an 18 year old, I was making bank. Um, and, uh, you know, it just, it's better. It paid better than drywall. It paid better than roofing. It, and I've also done foundations. Foundations was the most toxic work environment. As far as like, if you want to talk about like overly masculine dudes constantly performing, there it wasn't something about the industry. I don't think it was something about a specific clique of dudes. They, a click of dudes that doesn't exist. Are you talking in... about pouring concrete? Yeah. I don't yeah. know how anybody can be a decent person who does it. Not, not because of some internal fault. I think that type of labor breaks people. It like, breaks people. Everybody yeah. I know is just like, Hey, at least we're not pouring concrete. Like yeah. it's, it was it's the back breaking work. That was hands down the worst job I've ever had besides door to door salesmen. Right, like the one was the worst on my body, the other was the worst on my soul, in a sort of sense. Um, anyway, having worked in those environments, having worked in you know grocery stores, working the night shift, stocking shelves, working at gas stations. Uh, when I was sixteen, I worked at an amusement park, um, but all these different kinds of places that I've worked at, uh, including like fast food and slow food. I worked at Olive Garden. I worked at Schlotsky's Deli. Um, you know, stuff like that. I also worked at like this old pizza place and I worked at a, I worked at like a Hollywood video, right? So I've been in all these different places and most of them I didn't last very long because I just clashed with the manager or whatever. But <laughs> that's my real reason I like the PMC critique, you know. Figure that. <laughs> 
but you know, I know I try to mind my own business and if they fucking start breathing down my neck, I just, I can't, I can't put up with it. But, um, look in all these different environments, I, w I really was curious what it was going to be like at Amazon, right? Is it going to be how Mikey is describing this warehouse? And the answer is yes. I remember still to this day. So they, you know, managers will use their pronouns. Like walking into the entrance of the Amazon, there's like this big round, it looks like a pin, but it's just this giant circle and it just says, use she, her pronouns. It's not on a person. It's basically, when you read that out of context, just on the wall, it's like, what, should I use them? Should I use them for myself? Should I use them for everyone else here? Like, what, what is this? What does this mean? And then, like, they have Glamazon with rainbow everything, and everything's like, oh, LGBTQIA. And then, you, you, you know, every, uh, every other Mexican dude's got, like, the hat that says, like, Hispanic or Mexican at Amazon. Every, you know, every other black dude's got, like, the hat that says black at Amazon. You've got women, women at Amazon. So there's all this but you still like standing in the circle of like 15 to 30 employees, depending on the day and the group, um, they're getting like told what, oh, this, you know, we're going for these goals today, everybody, blah, 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 right? So it's like the morning meeting or whatever. But for me, I was working the night shift. It's a meeting and yes, people would say retarded, right? Like this is like the most, more, okay. In a sense, Amazon's more woke than the university, right? Because the, the wokeness in the university is kind of compartmentalized into a couple departments and the rest of the university is not like that. Um, Amazon's generalized it, yet people are still transgressing in this way. And so, right. so I, that was my experience at Amazon as well, was just being like, oh, no one, the manager who's like very progressive and, and, and does a lot of this woke rhetoric didn't like stop him and say, don't you say that. Even she didn't say that. And if she doesn't say that, then why is an actual activist trying to organize the working class to make them go against that manager and owner going to do that, right? Like that's, you have to pick your hills, right? And so that's, that's the point, so. That's, it reminds me as far as, far as those transgressions about what Mike, Michael and Son was saying about like in school and it's like where they were told you can't use the R word, all right? We have to use the word neurodivergent. So they used to be like, hey, what's, all, what's up with that, mate? He's probably retarded, eh? And it's like they can't say that anymore. It's like, oh, what's up with that, mate? He's probably a little neurodivergent, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and now people do that with themselves. Sorry, I'm acting a little autistic. Or, you know, like people do like to yeah. characterize themselves. I'm a little ADHD right now. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I'm just a little OCD. And obviously like the, the people whose entire activist thing is like being anti-ableism. Oh, they go, they, they, they go crazy about that. And they're going to hate me for saying that too. That's ableist as well. Okay. Whatever. All right. These are analogies, right? Um, I, nobody who's saying that is like, actually like, yeah, let's beat these people up or we, let's make them feel bad. No one's thinking that way. And then you go, that's what you mean. And people are like, that's not what I fucking mean. Fuck you. Right. And it's just like, okay, I can see why to weed out certain words from your vocab. And that's bringing it all back around. There is something to all of this stuff. And so, you know, uh, I got to close out this stream though. I'm so hungry. And can I just say, um, I got a Christmas present in the mail today from a friend. Uh, I cannot tell you how excited I am to watch Ghost Hunt. I don't Ghost. know if it's going to reflect. There we go. <laughs> Ghost watch. So, Ghost watch. 
Go, yeah, Ghost. Get it right. Yeah, I can get the title right. Ghost Watch. This is a movie that I've wanted to see for years, and it's finally available in this awesome collector's edition. Uh, so thank you to my friend who I know would rather remain anonymous. So thank you for Ghost Watch. This movie, you should uh, check it out on Wikipedia. It's a. Uh, it came out in '92. But it's kind of like a found footage thing. Blair Witch, uh, Paranormal Activity. But the catch... It, okay, hold on, let me see. If, let me. This is fun. So this was... I'm just going to read it. Right? Uh, Ghost Watch is a British reality horror pseudo-documentary television film. First broadcast on BBC One on Halloween night, 1992. Written by Stephen Volk. And directed by Leslie Manning. The drama was produced for the BBC anthology series. Okay. Uh, despite having been recorded weeks in advance, the narrative was presented as live television. During and following its first and only UK television broadcast, the show attracted a considerable fur, uh, resulting in an estimated 1 million phone call inquiries to the BBC switchboard on the night of the broadcast, comprising a mixture of complaints and praise for the program's unique presentation. So the thing is, it's set up like, oh, we're going to do this live. We're going to go investigate. This family says that they're experiencing paranormal activity. And like actual newscasters that everybody in Great Britain watched and knew, they're participating in this like it's real. And yeah. so paranormal activity starts to happen during the broadcast. And people really thought they were watching something real, and they started losing their fucking minds over this. Uh, Calling in. Kind of everything. like the War of the Worlds broadcast. That's really right. crazy. <laughs> but, this, but imagine that mixed with paranormal activity. So, right. But no, that's I, it was never, I never could find a copy of it. And every uh, so this is a, a Mikey that, movie that Mikey's been wanting to watch forever. So I'd like to say something about right. Mikey's very highly idiosyncratic taste in film. He's the only person I've ever met and probably will ever meet who wanted to watch Hobgoblins, the movie <laughs> Hobgoblins, in its original, the non-mystery science theater version of Hobgoblins. God bless him. No, no yeah, you, you, you like my dad, and he likes movies like that. Like he's like one that he was obsessed with. Wait, back hold, when he was hold like, on, hold on, hold on. Hooking with a chainsaw or some shit like that. You guys, you guys, <laughs> you guys are egging him on. This will never end now. And I'm so another hour. And, and but I'm no, so I wanted to say it's like that. That sort of uh, that movie that Ghost Watch sounds a lot better than like Grave Encounters, where it's like it's supposed to be a, a fake reality show, and then they get yeah. trapped in the asylum, and it, it ends up being like real. Like, uh, is it Hobgoblins? So not only do I have to watch Hobgoblins, not Mystery Science Theater, but actual Hobgoblins, I want to own the Vinegar Syndrome uh, Special Holy Edition. Holy Lord. Oh, the Collector's Edition slipcover. <laughs> There's the... Uh, oh, my. Beautiful. <laughs> One of the best movies ever made. I can't say that I've seen the raw version of it. Uh, one of the best Mystery Science Theater episodes ever. Yeah. But yeah. obviously... Mikey's the aficionado. Oh, it's, it's dog shit. It's terrible. Yeah. 
Have you seen the evil? The, the lawn evil, fight. The yeah. lawn fight. Remember, right, they're the fighting with the, the rake part. and the. <laughs> Did you ever see the evil bong with Tom I'm, Chong? I'm sorry. 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 But I'm not sorry. Listen, really quick. I've got to go eat, but I just have to say two things. One, we got a donation. It's very, very big. It wants to remain anonymous, but it pays for uh, stuff that I didn't think I'd be able to pay for for Theory Underground for another year. And so I get to start working on that now that I'm in Mexico and that I get to be unemployed for a little bit. I get to actually do this. And so stay tuned for some really cool shit. I'm about to be more cutting edge than I thought would be possible this soon into the game. Um, because I didn't expect to start getting big donations until this stuff started getting out a little bit more, what's going on with the website. But uh, this definitely fast forwards things a little bit. And I, ex I expected that those would start rolling in during the countrywide tour. All right. So... Uh, but I know who the donor is, by the way. It's uh, Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> <laughs> Gavin Newsom. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's a no, it's a homie who just believes in in the project, like Angles or or Vice, well, right? Like I, I was talking whoever about that per whoever the person is. I just want to say thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And then the uh, the last the thing. Of our look, I wouldn't have like leaned in to talking about the PMC so much. And that was a joke. If you didn't get that, then, well, there was a PMC book called Lean In. Anyway, but uh, I wouldn't have leaned into talking about it as much as I did if it wasn't for the class starting next Wednesday and me currently feeling like, oh, there's crickets whenever I do this kind of content. And I want people to know what my position is, how we are approaching this, how we think about things. We're not just these dirtbags over here and we're not just anti-PMC over there. And it's not like we're all a bunch of like, little like reactionaries who are like yeah james burnham is based <laughs> like that's not the fucking point the, but anyway the class begins on wednesday it's only gonna go for eight weeks but there's only four meetings and so we expect people to do the readings after we talk about the readings so basically we give a the context of the entire book and then you read the excerpt from the book and then you write a reflection about it the following week and then you come to the next meeting. So it's a lot less effort than the idea of the university course, which is also a beginner level. But it's less effort because you get the lecture before you read. And uh, it's, just a, you know, it's just a way of doing it the other way around. Okay. The reason I want people to sign up for it, though, is so I don't look stupid. All right? Just don't make me look stupid by making it so that only two people sign up for this course. I swear to God. <laughs> I need to get a few more signups here. And so I think it went up to like four people today. But... Um, and I know that more people will take it in the future once they, get the, once they get the memo. But listen, there's a lot of people who are putting this off thinking, oh, I'll just do it later. Yeah, totally. And do it later. And you're welcome to. And I can't wait when you catch up. But here's the problem. Um, these are the early days. Like we need the encouragement. Donations like that or attendance are pretty much the only two ways that you can genuinely encourage something that's gearing up to be an actual publishing company traveling the country, pushing this stuff to audiences that aren't already online consuming this stuff. We're, we're trying to build the base before that happens. And so um, I'm stoked to say Andrew is for sure right here, the big Signorelli. Andrew is going to be in the PMC course. Anne is going to be in the PMC course. Elton LK is going to be in that course. Bryce Nance is going to be in that course. Bryce Nance is also in the idea of university and yeah. will be in For They Know Not What They Do. So he is doing everything theory on yeah. the Hard mode. Hard yeah, mode. the is hard mode. <laughs> yeah, he's not. He's a skateboarder, so I know he doesn't fuck around. You know. Yeah, he doesn't. 
But with that, guys, I got to go eat. So I really thank you for coming on. And yeah. uh, I know you all have a lot more to say, but come on next week. You're, you're all invited next week. All right. Talk to you later. Peace. 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 All right. Uh, I'll just talk while, uh, while I wait for the last part of this to broadcast. When you register to the website, when you click on the course uh, and enroll, you have to add it to your cart and you have to check out and you create an account when you do that. Creating the account is actually uh, a little bit more difficult than I want it to be. And so stay tuned. There will be better ways of doing this in the future, obviously. But for right now, while I am the solo developer of this website, well, and that's not going to change, but while I'm new to being the solo developer of this website, um, just, just know that the registration email, the verification email when you register, it's going to go to your spam account or you'll have to have it resent. Okay, so make sure to add it to your cart, register, go to your verification email, find it in the spam. If it didn't go to the spam, tell the website to resend it and then it should work. And hopefully all the rest of the bugs are worked out. If you have any bugs though, let me know, theoryplebe at gmail.com and we'll try to work it out. But um, as far as this course goes, it's only 50 bucks for eight meeting or for, for an eight week course that has an online component con component as well as uh, lectures from myself and Elton. And so you'll get introduced to the work of Burnham, the work of I of uh, Barbara Ehrenreich, the work of Catherine Liu, the work of Thomas Frank, the work of Michael Lynn, uh, maybe something that, by Graver. I'll, I will be referencing stuff by Bordeaux, by Deleuze. I'll be bringing in some higher theory stuff, but we, we won't really be getting into it too much. But, you know, like how Andrew uh, earlier in this stream had brought up the uh, Althusser's ideological apparatuses. Uh, yeah, the, ideolo the ideological state apparatus thing goes right along with the PMC thing. And so it's like, this will all be stuff that we're working through. And the position is not like, oh, you have to get this correctly. Like you, we're not trying to have you come out the other side of this being like anti-PMC or something like that. The point is to, to think about it, to think about it from a variety of perspectives and let that inform you. Because, you know, if you, if you come to a strong position about things the way you see things eventually, it's good to first spend some time thinking about why you believe the things that you believe. Thinking about <laughs> your presuppositions. Thinking about what you've been told you're supposed to believe versus what seems to be the case. And not just thinking, but thinking with the greatest minds in the history of ideas. Thinking with them, because most of them are dead, means reading them and then writing and then talking to other people who are also doing the same. It's kind of what you're supposed to be able to get an experience of at the university, but a lot of people find that uh, hard to get these days. And so we're trying to get something that we weren't able to get at the state university with this. So I hope that some people will join this course who weren't before, and that uh, if not, you'll be around for the stuff we'll be putting out on this eventually. So with that, thank you so much. If you do want to support, go to theory-underground.com forward slash 
support and you will get the page where you can add stuff to your cart, including my book uh, called Waypoint. Uh, it's an old book. Stay tuned for newer books. But um, yeah, go to theory-underground.com forward slash support. And uh, who knows? It could change your life eventually. And it might be good. It might save you a lot of time that you would have otherwise wasted. Um, it might. I hope it does. I hope it's not a waste of time. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're all just trying to figure this shit out. All right. I'll talk to you later. Peace.